Last week I began our new sermon series on the Old Testament book of Isaiah. In the opening verses of chapter 1, Isaiah charged the people of Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel, he charged them with rebelling against God. Now, as you can imagine, that might not have been well received because we all instinctively react to criticism with some measure of defensiveness. Isaiah knew this. And it seems like he was anticipating their reaction, that he knew what they would be thinking. They'd be thinking something like this, us? But look at how well we worship with the temple and all of our rituals. We are clearly faithful people following all of the rules and commands that God has given us. And so in verses 10 through 20, Isaiah seems to cut this argument off before they can even articulate it. And that's what we find today in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 through 20. So if you would open up your Bibles, it's page 672 of the Pew Bibles in front of you. We're in Isaiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 10. Isaiah 1, beginning in verse 10 through verse 20. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, Who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. Let us pray. Well, Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that when your people go astray, you offer words of correction. 
And so, Lord, knowing the sinfulness of our own hearts, we pray that you would correct us when needed, that you would not let us immediately become defensive, but that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would critically evaluate where we have sinned and so repent. Father, I am not without sin either, and so use me in spite of my sinfulness to proclaim your word that we would hear it this day and that you, O Lord, would be glorified and known. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we are thinking about worship and how true worship is not an attempt to manipulate God through our rituals, our practices that we do, but true worship seeks God through obedient faith from the heart. Judah's problem was they had lost sight of true worship, but they didn't know that. See, when the kingdom of Israel was divided, the southern kingdom, Judah, maintained possession of the capital city of Jerusalem and the temple that was there. And so the people Isaiah is addressing could look to the temple and its rituals and be like, we got that. We've got it. We do stuff with that. It could become a source of pride and security for them. And Isaiah's words suggest that the people of Judah did indeed do a whole lot when it came to the temple. They just didn't do a whole lot right. We see that in verses 11 through 15 where God expresses his frustration with Judah's religious activity. He calls them out for their multitude of sacrifices, saying he's had enough of their burnt offerings, that he hates their feasts. They've become a burden to him. Reading this, I think this criticism should shock or surprise us at least a little bit because hundreds of years later in the time of Jesus, they were still doing the temple stuff. Isn't God the one who commanded them to observe these feasts, like the new moon and the Sabbath? Isn't God the one who commanded the burnt offerings and for people to come into those temple courts that he says are being trampled? Why is he so upset when the people seem to be obeying his commands? Because they had lost the heart of worship. And they relied on external rituals as if doing them correctly was like performing a magic spell that guaranteed a certain result. By relying on rituals in this way, the temple worship had become corrupted and defective. We see that clearly in two phrases in verses 12 through 13. In verse 12, Isaiah says, Bring no more vain offerings. Yes, they brought things, but he's saying they're empty, useless, vain, because they are done with the wrong heart. And then in verse 13, he says, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. In other words, there was some kind of disconnect that they were trying to have their feasts, but to have it as sinners who were not repenting of their sin. They were doing what they thought was right sinfully. God is warning Judah that he does not delight in that kind of worship. He will not accept those kinds of prayers, that they are an abomination to him. And so worship, not just singing, But all of the practices of worshiping God must go deeper than performing the right action. Because if all it is is doing the right thing on the outside, we're just playing a high-stakes game of charades. 
hoping that God sees what we're doing and interprets it in a way to give us something. But as Sarah told the kids, God sees to our hearts. And true worship must be an expression of the heart and not just something on the outside. This error is not unique to Judah and ancient Israel. We see it in many places throughout the history of the church. We see it in obvious places, like in the Roman Catholic Church. In the Roman Catholic Church, they teach that the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, automatically give grace to people, regardless of their hearts. And so whoever is baptized, as long as the water is put on them rightly with the right words, it washes away sin. And as long as someone partakes of the bread and the wine, regardless of their faith, they are blessed with Jesus Christ. Those are the very same errors that Judah is being convicted of here by Isaiah. But as much as we may want to, we can't simply point fingers at the Catholics and think we're better than them. Our rituals are more casual, but it does not mean they are free from corruption. Because instead of the daily mass, we have our daily quiet time. Has that become superstitious? We may not look at our baptism as a guarantee that we are saved and going to go to heaven, but perhaps we place too much hope in our church membership or in what we have put in the offering plate, or in a prayer we said 10, 20, 30 years ago that that's the prayer that saved me. If we feel that these external actions make up for our sinful rebellion, then we are sorely mistaken, trusting rituals instead of the one our rituals are supposed to point us to. See, God does not merely desire external practices because they can become corrupted by a wrong heart. That doesn't mean that we should take all of our worship rituals and throw them out and get rid of them. That would be to let the pendulum swing way too far and to overcorrect. That just because religious rituals can become merely external, just because they can be an abomination in God's eyes does not mean we should remove every hint of them from worship. After all, God is the very one who commanded these things. And so in verse 10, at the beginning of this passage, he calls them to return to his commands. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. God is pointing them back. He's not saying, hear the word as in I'm about to speak, as much as hear the words I have already spoken about these rituals. Go back and look at the commands of the Old Testament. Go back. Yes, they are incredibly detailed and tell you what portion of the liver and the entrails to sort out or sort in, which is disgusting. They are very detailed, but they're not external. They're not meant to be magic incantations that manipulate God. We cannot make God forgive us by sacrificing an animal in the right way. Instead, these rituals were to be done by people who loved God because he had loved them. They were meant to be performed by people who knew God had saved them and entered into a relationship with them And these rituals were meant to point them to these truths so that someday 
when the children came to worship, as our children do, they would ask, why do we do all this weird stuff? And they would have an answer, a word picture of sorts to say, yeah, Jesus washes our sins away just like the water is put on us in baptism. Children and new believers may not perform these rituals with the right heart right away, but within the community of faith, they have the opportunity to learn why we do the rituals. Yes, they can be misunderstood, but if God has commanded us to do them, then there's an opportunity for us to help others understand why we worship the way we do. That's not just true of the temple in the times of Judah, but it is true of our worship today. So yes, the practice of baptism can be misunderstood and corrupted. We can wrongly think that a ceremonial dipping of water washes away sins and guarantees salvation. But just because we can do it wrong doesn't mean we should stop doing it. Because rightly understood, baptism is a recognition that only God can cleanse us. That just as surely as the water is on our body, so also everyone who trusts in Jesus can be cleansed of their sin. And so we don't find hope in the water. I get that out of the tap downstairs. We find hope in what the water signifies, Jesus Christ. The same could be said about something like our weekly prayer of confession. Yes, this prayer could be misunderstood and corrupted. That though we say it in unison, it's not some magic formula that ensures that everyone who says it together exactly right now has forgiveness of their sins. But rightly understood, those prayers are meant to guide our hearts to reflect on our sinfulness and how only Jesus can forgive us. We don't pile them up week after week after week, overwhelming God with our prayers. No, we say them repeatedly because we repeatedly sin, and we will never outgrow our need of our mercy. And so our hope is not in the prayer we pray, but in the one we pray to. We could say the same about the money that we put in the offering plate. Yes, this practice can be misunderstood and corrupted, we can wrongly believe that we are able to buy God's favor by putting money in the plate each week, that we are somehow putting God in our debt. We can even begrudgingly put the money in, angry that God hasn't turned our life around after all I've invested in his church. But rightly understood, our giving is a tangible way of expressing that everything we have is a gift from God that he is the rightful owner of all of our possessions and our wealth. And giving a portion is symbolic of giving our whole selves to him. Our hope is not in the gifts we give, but in the one who has given us things that we can give any gifts in the first place. And so religious rituals, especially those commanded by God, are not the problem. They are divinely designed ways to aid our worship of Him when we worship Him with the right heart. But what if our hearts aren't right? How do we fix hearts that are wrong and evil and unclean? Isaiah seems to offer a very difficult solution in verse 16. 
Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. But how can we wash the evil off of ourselves? I have tried a lot of soaps and shampoos and even an Axe body spray in my life. And I'm pretty sure that none of them, no matter what loofah or anything you're using, can scrub away the evil of your heart. Scented, unscented, bar, gel, anything. There is nothing that cleanses the evil of our hearts. So then how do we get clean? Isaiah is not telling us to clean ourselves up in that sense. Rather, we must see ourselves as unclean, that our hearts are dirty and evil. Only then will we search out a way to get clean. And the only way to get clean is by going to God for cleansing. He is the solution, not simply the ritual, though the rituals point to the solution. The Lord says to his confused people, Come now, let us reason together. It's almost as if God is saying, just stop for a moment. Don't kill that animal yet. Just stop all that you're doing, all this religious, religious activity. Stop. Are these things working? You've been sacrificing for so long. Are these things really working? Are they helping because you're not going deep enough. Only I can help you do what is impossible to clean your heart. And he tells them, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. I hope those words are somewhat familiar since we heard them earlier in the service and we hear them regularly as an assurance of pardon. And they offer real hope of forgiveness and change. Not just that our sins are forgiven, but they're changed into snow and wool, into very things that are white by nature. That's what verses 16 and 17 describe, a change of who we are. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Like Sarah said in the children's message, God doesn't want us to keep saying we're sorry through these rituals. He wants us to show that we're sorry and that we mean it, to demonstrate our repentance. That's what he means by cease to do evil and learn to do good. Judah can perform complex rituals of temple sacrifice. Great. Do they know how to follow God through their daily lives? Or do they just know how to try to manipulate him? Perhaps they need to hear the words of Micah that we need to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. That's what God desires from worshipers. More than performing the right rituals, singing the correct songs, giving the proper amount of money, he desires people who seek him. And to do that, we need our hearts renewed by him. And he does so with a sacrifice that all of the other sacrifices pointed to. As our New Testament reading tells us that there's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that is better, that we can enter God's presence through his blood, not the blood of animals. 
that he is the one who washes our crimson stains away. He is the one who renews our hearts, not with the sprinkling of ritual water, but by the very power of God in our lives. And so having been cleansed by Christ, we can boldly approach the throne for God's continual help as we repent of our sin, as we seek to cease to do evil and to learn what it is to do good, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with our God, to stir up one another for love and good works, to gather together regularly for worship, not focusing just on the outward practices and rituals, but on seeking the Lord on worshiping God as he has commanded us to do so, with hearts wholly indebted to him, hearts having been cleansed by him through our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who changes our hearts to worship him. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, we ask that you would please cleanse our hearts. Our hearts are so full of evil and corruption And we think it can be as simple as, if we do this, your mind will be changed. But you are not easily manipulated, O God. You are not one of the pagan idols whom people tried to do a rain dance to get you to act. You, O Lord, are far greater than that. And your greatness is seen in your grace towards us. That you offer clean hearts to us if we would only repent and say we are unclean and need to be cleaned. Lord, help us to say that, to say it regularly for that sin keeps creeping back in. Help us, O God, to look beyond ritual to our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen.